The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. The bitterness of a hard heart. The bitterness of a hard heart. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you see all things, and nothing is hidden from your eye. Thank you, Lord. Today, would you have mercy on our hearts and give us humble hearts before you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Second Chronicles, the seventh chapter, verse 12. Second Chronicles, the seventh chapter, verse 12. It is speaking about Solomon who has just finished building the tabernacle of the Lord. He has been in prayer, and now the Lord answers his prayer. The Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now you notice very quickly in way of review that if we will do four things, God will do three things. If we will do four things, God will do three things. If we will humble ourselves, if we will pray, if we will seek his face, if we will turn from our wicked ways then God will do three things. He will hear, he will forgive, and he will heal the land. Now, we all want to pray and have God heal the land. We don't want to talk about humbling our, our hearts. We don't want to talk about seeking his face, and we don't want to talk about turning from our wicked ways. We just want to pray and have God heal our land. But healing the land is the last part of what God has promised he would accomplish. Almost everything in life is a process. And we have to learn God's process. If I'm going to drive home, I'm going to find my keys, I'm going to go out to my car, I'm going to sit in the car and turn on the ignition, 
then I'm going to put it into drive. I'm going to pull out of the parking lot. And I'm saying, I don't want to drive. I want to be home. You're saying, well, there's a problem. You've got to drive to get home. You don't get home by wishing home. You don't get home by envisioning the living room and saying, I'm there now. <laughs> Positive thinking does not get you home. Putting a picture in your billfold of your living room and looking at it all through church won't get you there. Positive affirmations won't get you home. To get home, you have to go through the process of getting in the car and driving. And finally, after a period of time, you'll arrive at home. Then you can sit down in your chair and say, ah, I'm home. We want God to come and heal our land. And we want to pray that God will see the wickedness in the world and will turn people's hearts back to him. We love to come up in our prayer circle before the service begins and pray, oh God, bring back springs of living water. We need these people to hear the word of God. We need you to do what you have to do to heal this land. The problem is there's a process. We're leaving out all the process. We want to pray we want the land healed. God said, don't even pray until you've humbled your heart. Don't even pray till you've humbled your heart. You have to humble your heart, and then God will hear you as you pray. That's part of the process. So if I come to God and I say, hey, dude, hey, you up there, I see a problem down here. We've got wicked people out here. Come on down here and heal these people. Who do we think we are? Pharisees? Self-righteous? Or, or better yet, we just don't even bother praying. We just say, oh, I wish something would change. I don't like going into work and having all of this rabble-rousing stuff going on around me. I wish some of myself would rub off on them so they wouldn't act this way. You know, if they just knew what I knew. No. There's a process. The command is, humble yourselves. And from that place of humility, begin to pray. But praying is not enough without the humbling. But you notice the humbling and the praying are not enough without seeking the face of God. Yes. Now, some of you say, wait a minute, what do you mean, Pastor? I'm in this situation. It's all dissolving around me. The atomic bomb is going off. I'm saying, where's God? And God's saying, seek my face. 
and then I have to make some judgments. Am I going to seek God's face or am I going to go use my own hand because God's hand didn't show up? And God, because you didn't show up with your hand the way I wanted you to, I'm not going to trust you. When the going gets tough, I've learned I have to be tough and get going. I mean, how else am I going to pull this thing out? Now, how many times, how many times have I seen somebody say, I'm going to trust Jesus until I think I'm going to lose something if I trust him? And then I'm going to kick into gear with my own desire and my own will. And I'm going to fix it. And I'm going to say, God told me to do it. And it wasn't God at all. It was my own eagerness to shape the world in my own fashion. I talked with my dear brother, John Hall. I said, what have you been praying for these days? He said, Ray, to tell you the truth, I've not been praying for much of anything because I'm afraid to pray for anything. I said, what do you mean? He said, I've got my agenda going so strong, I can't trust what I'm to pray for. So I've just been asking God to humble my heart. He isn't aware at all of what we've been preaching. I said, he's been doing the same thing to me. He's just saying, humble your heart. Because when my agenda is going, I can't hear what God's agenda is. So he says, seek my face. Now I've humbled myself, I've prayed, and I've sought his face. Now, God, would you hear my prayer and would you do it my way? You know what needs to happen here, God. You know I need to be rescued here. You know I need this health situation taken care of. You know I need this job situation taken care of. God, you know all about this, and I'm not going to have any anxiety. I'm just going to trust you. But you better take care of it, God. The Lord said, I had to turn from my wicked ways. Now, please understand me. God is very concerned about wicked sin. He's concerned about going back time after time into that adultery. Back time after time into that gluttony. Back time after time. He's concerned about specific concrete sins. And he brings judgment on us and he rebukes us and he deals with it. But you know what? There's a sin that God is much more concerned about. And that is the sin of unconsciousness just doing my wicked deal, going my way day after day and doing it in a way that is destructive for the kingdom of God. Those ways of ours. Do you know what a way is? Are you sitting close to the same seat that you usually sit in? You have a way of sitting in that same seat. Our brain is structured so that we will have to spend a minimum amount of attention or energy doing the things that we are 
accustomed to doing so that we can have brain power to focus on the big challenges. And so these, these other things become unconscious. We just do them. We don't stop and think about it. We just do them. These ways God calls wicked ways. These ways of surviving, these ways of functioning that are not of the spirit of the living God, but are of our own spirit. He calls these wicked ways. I mean, I'm accustomed to eating what I'm accustomed to eating. When I bring what I'm eating to the throne room of God, he has some things to say to me about what I'm accustomed to eating. One of the things he said to me is, I want you to begin fasting. Well, I tell you, my least favorite activity is fasting. Fasting anything. I mean, as soon as I start fasting anything, I want it more than ever. So the Lord has said, now I want you to begin fasting 24 hours each week, drinking only water for those 24 hours. And it's like a lion is set loose in me. 24 hours? And he says, well, why don't we make it five days? Five days? Well, okay, why don't we make it 10 days? No, Lord, I think 24 hours would be just fine. Now, I'm learning God's ways. Hmm? I'm learning God's ways. God begins to speak to us about a way that is an independent, arrogant way. And as we begin to talk with him about that independent, arrogant way, and he begins to bring it to our consciousness, he then deals with us about that way. So this morning, we ate breakfast, and my way, because I'm preaching today, my way is normally I push back from the table, and I go to finish my preparation while my sweetheart washes up the kitchen. I mean, that's fair. I'm preaching. But lately, the Lord has been saying to me, no, Ray, you send your wife so she can relax and get dressed, and you wash up the kitchen. So this morning, I washed the dishes up. I put them on the dryer. You know that little deal that lets you cheat? I put them all up there, and I was ready to go upstairs and get dressed. And the Lord said, dry them. Why? They'll dry in the air. because I'm going to walk to and fro in your house while you're gone. Boy, I grabbed that dish rag. I began to dry those dishes and dry them carefully because the Lord was going to be walking through my house while I was gone. Now, when I was a child, I would have to wash the dishes because there were three boys in the family no sisters. And so the boys had to do the dishes. So we would do the dishes, we would put them up in the cupboard, and then dad would come walking into the kitchen 
And he'd say, let's see how you did, boys. And he'd open the cupboard doors and he'd begin to look at the dishes to see if we dried them before we put them in. And if we didn't dry them before we put them in, he would take everything in the cupboard and move it down and put it into the soap water. And he would say, try again, boys. I'll be back. Now that time, we were afraid if we didn't dry them right, he'd take the whole cupboard out. I've learned that's one of God's ways. And so this morning, I polished those dishes because I knew that if God came walking through my kitchen, he didn't want to see a mess. Now, by his grace and by his discipline, my ways were stopped. This is only one of many unconscious ways that I have. Trying to cut a corner here, trying to do this here, always my way. And God has stopped me and he said, look at your ways. Don't walk that way anymore. Did you know that while we are here in this sanctuary, someone is walking through your house and he sees what you have left there. He's walking through your room. He sees what your room looks like. What is he seeing? Is he seeing wicked ways? Lazy ways? Or is he seeing order and thoughtfulness? Is he seeing that you took time to honor what he has given you? Or do you throw it like trash? Has no meaning. When it's gone, I'll replace it. How do you do your ways before God? Now, part of what I recognize is that if I don't humble myself, if I don't pray, if I don't seek his face, if I don't turn from my wicked ways, then he will not do the three things that he has said he will do that are dependent upon my doing the four things he's asked me to do. He won't hear my prayer. He will not forgive my sin. And he will not heal Washington, D.C., so understand that your behavior does not just bring a consequence upon your own life. Your, your behavior brings a consequence on Washington, D.C. because you've been called to the National Prayer Chapel. You've been called to be a part of a body that takes responsibility before God for doing the four things he's asked us to do so that he can then step in and do what he's promised he will do. I said, Lord, this is all great theory. Could I see it worked out in somebody's life? And immediately he pointed me to a king of Judah. His name was Asa. Asa did what was right and good in the eyes of the Lord. Chapter 14 of 2 Chronicles. 
He removed all the foreign altars and the high places and he smashed the sacred stones. In other words, Asa began the work of humbling his heart. He began the process of getting his life cleaned up. And there isn't one of you in this house today that has not begun the process of getting your life cleaned up. Some of you have done a much more thorough work than others. Some of you are still playing, wondering how much do I have to clean up? How much can I get away with? That hidden place down there that nobody sees, can I just leave it that way and God won't look at it? He will look at it. He sees the corner of your heart. He knows the secret compartments in your heart where little treasures have been hidden. So Asa begins this work. And what God does then is he gives them rest. Now please follow me. I want you to understand everything is a process. And in the process, God will begin to bring peace and joy into the heart of a sinner who will repent. But it's just part of the process. He says, verse 7, let us build up these towns, he said to Judah, and put walls around them with towers and gates and bars. The land is still ours because we've sought the Lord our God. We sought him and he has given us rest on every side. He begins to see miracles occur. Now these miracles become even more dramatic as a Cushite king marches out against Judah with 300 chariots. That's like 300 tanks when Judah has no tanks. There's no way they can defeat this army. The chariots will mow down their men and kill them. This army marches out and and Asa, in verse 11, calls to the Lord his God and says, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Look, he has a humble heart. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come up against this vast army. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. And some of you have been in this place where a great army has come against you and you have cried out to the Lord and you've said, Lord, I can't handle this situation. I can't handle what's happening in my family. I can't handle what's happening with my health. You've cried out to the Lord and the Lord has answered you. With miracle power, he's answered you. But remember, this is a process. Because God is going to expose the depths of our heart. God is not here for a one-time stellar performance. God is here for the changing of the character. For the absolute renovation of a man or woman's heart. He's here to cleanse and break and purify. He's here to restore he wants everything put in order, a place of beauty. The Lord strikes down these Cushites before Asa and Judah. 
They have an incredible victory. They're crushed before the Lord. And they are enriched with droves of, of camels and sheep, cattle. You understand, this is money. They are blessed financially. God has blessed some of you financially. He's opened the doors of heaven and he's poured out blessing for you. And you have seen the victory of the Lord. Now this wonderful work of God encourages Asa's heart. And so Asa now says in chapter 15, verse 1, listen to me. Listen to me. This is the prophet speaking. Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you will seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Asa, you've had an awesome victory. You've seen the power of God move on your behalf. Now, know the way of God. That if you're with God, he's with you. If you turn away from him, Asa, he will turn away from you. Now, for a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach and without the law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, and he was found by them. He was found by them. In those days, it was not safe to travel about for all the inhabitants of the lands were in great turmoil. One nation was being crushed by another, one city by another, because God was troubling them with every kind of distress. But as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. This week, I was crying out to the Lord, and I was saying, Oh God, we poured seven years of five days a week into radio. The cost is astronomical. We've been faithful before you. We, we have a sanctuary that can seat 500 people and a little handful of people come. Lord, that's all right, if that's your will. Lord, is this what you want? Is this what you want? And he turned my heart to chapter 15, verse 7. But as for you, National Prayer Chapel, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. Thank you, Lord. Your work will be rewarded. And when Asa took these words, he took courage. And what it means when it says he took courage is it says he went out and did an even more thorough job of reformation. Some of you today need to hear that God is going to reward you and the National Prayer Chapel with what our heart most desires, and that is the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to do a work of revival in Washington. He is going to reward us and let that word of encouragement come to our hearts and say, okay, I'm going to do an even more thorough job. There's still some things that have got to be cleaned up. Let's get them cleaned up. 
There's some attitudes that have to change. Let's get them changed. There's some ways that have to be transformed. Let's get them transformed. I mean, sometimes I have to tell you, I'm afraid to come too close to God. Because if I come too close to God, he's going to talk to me about something I don't want to talk about. And part of what I've had to learn time after time is the same thing I learned with my dad. I always wanted to go with my dad because he did Bible studies. Two nights a week, he went to somebody's home and he would lead a Bible study. And I always wanted to go with dad to those Bible studies because I learned so much about the scriptures. And I was always astonished. People would ask him questions and he would flip through the scriptures and he would read them the answers out of the word. And I wanted to be able to do that. But I always dreaded the ride home. Because I knew on the way home, if dad was in any way upset with me, he was going to talk with me. Hal Raymond, you know, last Wednesday, you were very angry when I asked you to. And he would begin to speak about things I didn't want to speak about. I just wanted to brush them off and say, yeah, yeah, no, I won't do that again. No, Dad talked about it all. And then generally he would tell me what the punishment would be. When you get home from school tonight, you're confined to your room. Or when you get home tonight, I want you to go out in the garden. And that back part, I want you to hoe that out. By myself? By yourself. Why doesn't Don have to go? Ray, I'm not talking to Don. I'm talking to you. I want you to get the back part of the garden hoed out tonight. And I knew there was no way I was going to change his mind. And I knew that after I'd hoed it out, Dad would walk those rows and he would see if I'd done the job. And if I hadn't done the job, he would assign me additional work. I knew that if I wanted to get to bed that night, I'd best get it done right. I just knew that. Well, sometimes I'm afraid to ride with God because I'm afraid of what he's going to say to me about things that he wants to get cleaned up that are between us. See, I want to just say, everything's okay, God. But you see, he's the one that has to say everything's okay. Not me. He's the judge. I'm not. He's the one who makes the decision. Ray Greenlee's heart is right with me. I don't make that decision. I don't come saying, God, my heart's right with you. You know my heart's right with you. No, he's the one who will make that judgment call. And he's the one who will say, this is what I want you to do. As discipline. And when I step in and I do that discipline he's asked me to do, to change 
my attitude, to change my heart, I know the work will be accomplished. Now here we have Asa, who takes courage at this word of, of, of encouragement, and he really goes after those things that have to be transformed, that have to be changed. And then they enter into a covenant, and they say, now God, we're going to seek you. God, we're not going to play games with you anymore. We're going to seek you. They rejoice because they have sworn that oath wholeheartedly. They mean what they say. They sought God and he was found by them. <coughs> King Asa then even deposes his mother because she is leaning toward wickedness. Asa's heart, we're told, is fully committed to the Lord. But then toward the end of his life, he's confronted by the king of Israel. And this man who was committed to the Lord wholeheartedly has become proud. He's become confident. He is resting now in his own experience as king. He has established his ways of functioning. And now he's going to trust in his own strategy. And so he strips the money out of his own treasury. But notice, not only does he strip the money out of his treasury, he goes and takes the money out of God's treasury without asking God. And he gives it to the king of Aram. And he forms a treaty. And the prophet comes to him in chapter 17, verse 7. At that time, Hanai the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Now, wait a minute. He was not having difficulty with the king of Aram. He was having difficulty with the king of Israel. He had no concept of what God was going to try to accomplish. God was not trying to deal with the king of Israel. He was trying to lure the king of Aram into a trap. He wanted this wicked king destroyed and the army of Aram defeated. But Asa didn't know that because Asa wasn't in his prayer closet. Asa was on his own agenda. He wanted to be successful at what he wanted to be successful doing because he saw that his survival was based on his success. He had forgotten that his survival was not based on his success, but on his obedience to God, on a single-minded devotion to God. And so he worked out his own strategy. 
And now the prophet comes and says, were not the Cushites and the Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord ranged throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing. From now on, you're going to be at war. And Asa was angry with the seer. Because of this, he was so enraged that he put him in prison. And at the same time, Asa brutally oppressed some of the people. Now, please hear me. If you find yourself giving way to anger, you will soon find yourself brutally oppressing somebody. When you give way to anger, the next step is to begin to brutally oppress somebody, whoever gets in your way. And know that when you have given way to anger, and then you've given way to brutally oppressing someone, what this is really about is you didn't get your way. And God didn't help you get your way. Now, somewhere in this whole mix, God changes from being Lord and Master to being our servant. We want God to do for us what we want him to do for us. I've had to deal with this with the National Prayer Chapel. Do I want God to build up the National Prayer Chapel? so that I can have my way? And now, okay, I know how to do it. I'll work out my strategy. I'm on my way. And now I want God to bless me. After all, it's his work. Now, what if God doesn't bless me? What if God pulls back? And I say, okay, I'm going to build the church anyway. And God, when you decide to show up, come on by. I did that for a lot of years. It's sin against God. See, God calls us to lay it all down. And every circumstance, know that it comes from the hand of God. And it comes to test me to see whether or not that circumstance will cause me to become angry and brutally oppress my brothers and sisters, or whether that circumstance will call me to total surrender so that I say, Lord, I don't know whether you're going after Israel or the army of Aram. And it's time for me to just stop and humble my heart. Now, what do you want to do here, God? I'll do whatever you want me to do. But I'm not going to take one step further into this mess until I know who the enemy is and your plan for defeating him. What do you want me to do? Now I'm in a place where the Lord can begin to speak to my heart and tell me what he wants me to accomplish. See, my belief is God wants to build the National Prayer Chapel. 
But the truth is, God doesn't want to build the National Prayer Chapel. God wants to save people's souls. Those two things are not synonymous. Where does it say in Scripture that they're synonymous? They're not. God can choose however he chooses to save the souls of his people. He can have the stones cry out if he chooses. He doesn't need me. God, you've got a great work to do down here, and I know you can't pull it off without my help. And God, I know you need radio because you can't bring Washington, D.C. to revival without radio. So I'm indispensable. You have to have me. So God, line up and do it my way. Can you imagine the arrogance? Oh, well, you're saying, Pastor, I understand. That's true. Well, let's look for a minute at your job. You don't like the circumstances of your job? You don't like the circumstances of your life? You demand that God comes and changes them and meet your expectations. God, all I'm asking you to do here is give me a little help. Why won't you come and give me a little help here? Since when is God your gopher? God's not your gopher. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He rules over heaven and earth. So here's Asa. He's angry because he's being asked to humble his heart, and he's not about to humble his heart. He is the king. You're going to humble your heart, or you're going to be mad. It comes down to that bottom line. That's the bottom line. Is it going to be God's way or your way? Are your arms long enough to box with God? Can't he do whatever he chooses to do with your life and with your money and with your time and with your kids? Can't God do whatever he chooses to do? Do you have any right to come into God's face and say, you can't do it that way, God? I don't have that right. He rules. So Asa's angry. He puts him in prison. He oppresses the people brutally. And now God does one of the most interesting things I find in all of Scripture. He says, okay, King Asa, let's bring some disease to your feet. In other words, you're striding about so proud. Let's make it so you can't walk. And now what are you going to do? What's King Asa do? He calls the doctors. He seeks the doctor's help, and they can't help him. But he will not turn to the Lord. Look what it says. Second Chronicles 16, verse 12. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. 
though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. Then in the 41st year of his reign, Asa died and rested with his fathers. This man died with a bitter heart. He said, look at all the good I've done. Look how I have honored and served the Lord God of heaven. And now look at how he ashamed me. How he's rebuked me. How can God treat me this way? Oh, Asa's heart is my heart. How can God treat me this way? God, I want to come into your prayer closet. I want to pray for the lost. And I want to see the city healed. Don't ask me to humble my heart. Don't ask me to seek your face. Don't ask me to turn away from my wicked ways. God, just let me pray and let me see the miraculous work of your spirit out here saving the lost. God said, do four things and I'll do three things. In other words, follow the recipe or you're not going to like what you have to eat. You're, mi you're mixing up something here that's going to be a, a wonderful gift to the heart of God. But also it will satisfy your soul's desire. Now some of you today, you come to God because you need something. And when God doesn't give you what you think you need, you get mad with him. And you turn away. And you seek your own path. That's the bitterness of a stubborn heart. The Lord is saying to us today, will you humble your hearts? Will you humble your heart? Now let me be very specific about what it means to humble your heart. It means to confess I do not know how to deal with the enemy that is approaching. I don't know how to deal with the problem that is coming. I don't know how to deal with it, God. But you know how to deal with it. And I'm going to wait upon you. I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. I'm not going to try to do any more than you've asked me to do or any less than you've asked me to do. I'm going to do exactly what you've asked me to do and I'm going to leave the result totally in your hands. And the result may look to you like catastrophic loss. But if you were to take a tapestry and flip it over and look at the back side, you would see threads cut off and you would say, why is that beautiful gold thread, why does it end there? And why is it just cut off? Why doesn't it continue? And you can make all kinds of judgments about the back of a tapestry. If I were doing a tapestry, I wouldn't put those threads together. And I wouldn't make it look like that. But when you turn the tapestry around, you see a work of beauty and art. Well, today, all we get to see is the back of the tapestry. The kingdom of God, when it's fully come, 
we'll see the real tapestry and we'll see where God was moving and positioning to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. And when we rebel against him and say, no, I'm not going to go that way, then God has to say, okay, I'll let you go and I'm going to bring another thread in. Because our stubborn, bitter hearts won't allow God to accomplish what he desires to accomplish. Instead, we grab the control and we say, I'm going to do it my way. Today, we come to the table of the Lord. You notice what I said. I didn't say today we come to the table of the National Prayer Chapel. I didn't say today we come to Ray Greenlee's table. This is not Ray Greenlee's table. This is not the National Prayer Chapel's table. It's the table of the Lord. And we come and we, we eat this bread and we drink this grape juice as the broken body of Jesus and the spilled blood of Jesus. Now, don't come and take this wine. Don't come and eat this bread if you've determined in your own heart that you're going to eat your own bread, that you're going to fast the bread of the Lord and feast on the bread of wickedness. Come to this table with a humble heart saying, I know that this is the only bread that will satisfy my need. This is the only blood that will satisfy my need. This drink and this broken bread, it alone satisfies my need. Jesus alone can satisfy the desire of my heart. And we hold what is called open communion. Open communion simply means every man and woman in this house is welcome to come and participate. If you're willing to acknowledge Jesus Christ, as both your Lord and your Savior. He is King. He is Lord. He is Master. You don't have to have achieved a certain level of perfection before you can come and eat. You don't have to achieve some level that, that I'm going to grade you on and say, okay, now you've, you've attained this level. You're allowed to come and eat. No, this is for the beginning, humble-hearted, man or woman, boy or girl, who says, Jesus will be my Lord. Jesus will be my Savior. This is the same covenant that Asa took. But know that after you come and participate in the bread and the blood, you can turn and still have a bitter heart of rebellion when you leave this house. And the Lord is asking you to recognize that and to humble your heart. Oh Lord, we bring before you now this bread. We bring before you, Lord God, this grape juice. And Lord, we tear it. Because your body was torn for us. And we bless it, Lord, asking that it will strengthen us and encourage us. Thank you, mighty God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, 
Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew He moved my soul to seek Him, seeking me. It was not I that found no Savior true, no, I was found of Thee. Thou didst reach forth thine hand and mine enfold. I walked and sank not on the storm-vexed sea. T'was not so much as I on thee took hold as thou, dear Lord, on me. I find I walk, I love, but oh, the whole of love is but my answer, Lord, to thee. For thou wert long beforehand with my soul, Always thou lovest me. Thou lovest me. Thou lovest me. Always thou lovest me. I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew He moved my soul to seek Him, seeking me. It was not I that found no Savior true, no, I was found.